I'm Conan Gasquit, host of the Inside Pediatrics podcast at Children's of Alabama. Our topic in this episode is sickle cell disease, and we have a unique way of sharing it with you. Recently, a former sickle cell disease patient of ours, Chris Ruffin Jr., interviewed his former children's doctor, Dr. Lee Hilliard. Chris is now a senior news producer at a TV station in Memphis. We recorded this interview on Zoom as they reflected on Chris's battle with sickle cell disease and how Dr. Hilliard empowered Chris to advocate for his care and create his own success story. Here are Chris and Dr. Hilliard with more on sickle cell disease and how patients can manage it. And welcome to Inside Pediatrics, a podcast brought to you by Children's Hospital of Alabama in Birmingham. I'm Chris Ruffin, Jr., a guest on the podcast today, but I'm also joined by um, a legend in her own right, uh, Dr. Hilliard of Children's in Alabama. Dr. Hilliard, how's it going? Oh, it's going great, Chris. I, I <laughs> thank you for the awesome introduction. I, I'll have to remind everybody around here that I'm a legend. Yeah, you are. You are. I, I think anything, anytime that you, uh, I've needed a question asked, um, no matter how old I've been, you've been quick to respond. So that's that's a legend to me. <laughs> uh, well, you know your family. <laughs> so look, Dr. Hillier, before we get started, uh, definitely want to thank Churches of Alabama for this opportunity to get both of us on. Um, our history goes back, uh, I guess, 25 years uh, ago uh, when you first started caring for me uh, when I was a toddler. Uh, so do you just want to give people a quick um, history about us? Sure. Yeah. So that pretty much sums it up is literally mm. your family brought you in to see us. Uh, you probably, you probably weren't even walking, uh, yeah. when I, when I first met you and yeah. then took care of you, uh, all through younger life until you graduated. And we finally had to release you out into the world. <laughs> And so for people who don't know, uh, they brought me to you all because of my sickle cell. And so you are, you specialize in, in sickle cell, uh, taking care of sickle cell patients. So that is how you and I um, became family. And like you said, it's, it's been years and years and we still haven't had a chance to let go of each other. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm a pediatric hematologist and I've been here since 1993. So I think that's when you say I'm a legend, you really just mean I'm old. No, 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 <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Not at all. So we're, we're talking about sickle cell today. Um, and World Sickle Cell Day recently passed by. And um, I know it's a lot of things going on with sickle cell right now, it's conversations. But can you just let me know, like, the first question I, I have for you, um, for those who want to know, like, what type of crisis, uh, well, first, can we define a crisis? And then what, can you tell us what type of crisis can stem from sickle cell? Sure. Well, when, when most people hear the word crisis, they're uh -huh. thinking about pain. And probably that's the thing that most people think about when they hear the word sickle cell disease. Uh -huh. uh, but unfortunately, sickle cell affects your whole body because as you know, it's a disease of red blood cells where there's an abnormal protein that makes an abnormal shape in the red blood cells and red blood cells go all over your body you know, to carry oxygen to your whole body. So sickle cell disease literally affects your whole body. 
I think about it in kind of two categories for the problems that patients can have. And the first category that would be thought of more as quote crises uh, are acute things, you know, things that happen all the sudden out of the blue. So that would be pain where those abnormal red cells float around and all of a sudden they get stuck in different bones in your body. And then there's not enough blood flow and it starts to hurt. Right. They can also get stuck in your lungs and then you have a sickle crisis in your lungs that's called a chest syndrome. Mm -hmm. They can get stuck in your spleen and that can clog up your spleen and that's called a splenic sequestration. So those are, you know, the three main sudden problems and for your experience, a stroke is a sudden clogging up of the blood vessels in the brain so that you you know, have weakness or some sort of impairment of function of your brain. The other category of problems though, and this is the thing that people don't think about as much uh, with sickle cell is more of the chronic problems. So the the long-term problems, because every day you're walking around with these abnormal blood cells going all over your body. And even if they're not causing a crisis that day, those abnormal cells are going through your kidneys and your lungs um, and your brain, essentially scraping the blood vessels. And over time, that makes your organs wear out earlier. Yeah. I mean, well, if you think about it, like all of us are going to die because our organs eventually give out, you know, unless we're hit by a bus or something. Um, But unfortunately for patients with sickle cell disease, the organ damage happens sooner because of those abnormal red blood cells. Yeah, I know for me, like whenever I've experienced a sickle cell crisis, it's more so being this, this, this last time that I had one was probably the most severe um, that I've had since I've had a stroke uh, when I was six, but Oh, the past couple of years, I've only experienced um, tightness in my arms and my legs. And usually with that, I'm able to stretch, drink some water, rest a little bit, and then it'll be, you know, it'll pretty much be gone. But I know like a lot of people who I, who I know who have sickle cell, they deal with those other um, experiences that you said, like the acute chest syndrome and things like that. So I know that's a little bit more severe than than what I've dealt with, but yeah, I I, I felt I felt all of those, but I've only dealt with the um, the the lesser pain the most. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of the stroke, do you remember uh, when I had my stroke? I know it's been a while, but can you remember back when? Uh, it happened like how you reacted to it you know how'd you diagnose me and everything like that yeah so you're gonna have to help me with this because my memory may not be <laughs> totally accurate but i'll tell you what my gotcha. my memory is Robbie, this what year did you have a stroke uh it was when i was six so that was 2000 i believe it was 2000 Two th- yep that sounds yeah that sounds right and the reason i'm saying that is that we were starting a program to do screening for stroke prevention 
-hmm. but you had a stroke right before we got that functional you know uh -huh. where so the one of the main things i think about for you is could i have picked up your stroke risk sooner so if yeah that program had been in place and the other thing that I remember is when you were younger, I think you did have a chest syndrome. I think you were mm -hmm. playing flag football and you may have overdone it a little bit. Knowing you, you mm -hmm. it's possible. You might have <laughs> overdone it a little bit. Uh, and that was before you were on any treatment for yeah. your sickle cell. Uh, and I don't remember the timing between the chest syndrome and the stroke, but yeah, the, the, uh, just always for you, I think about, man, could we have now, you know, if you were here now, you would have gotten screening starting at age two to yeah. look at your stroke risk. But the symptoms of a stroke are usually not too hard to recognize because it's usually weakness on one part of your body and your parents were, you know, smart to recognize that something wasn't right and get you into yeah. the hospital where we could get it diagnosed and get you treated. Yeah. My mom said I was, uh, she re and she recently told me this story again. She was like, yeah, you were just crying all night and you pretty much, I asked you what was wrong and you said you couldn't stop crying. So that was, and she said from that, she just started Googling. Uh, I don't even know if it was Google back then. I think it was probably like ask.com, but mm -hmm. she said she um, started trying to figure out what was going on and she realized that the symptoms was I, I pretty much had a stroke. So uh, she brought me in from there. So. Um, what do you think is the, and I know we're just speaking from my, my perspective, but once somebody has that crisis or somebody has that stroke, how do you help them bounce back, um, you know, to be fully functional as a sickle cell patient? Yeah. So a stroke can be pretty complicated because a stroke mm -hmm. is injury to your brain. Right. So the short answer to that is patients need lots of support. You know, you need support from your family, you need support from the medical team, and you need goals, you know, mm -hmm. try to set some finite goals and work towards those each day as your condition allows. So it depends on what the problem is, right? So if your crisis is you're in the hospital with pain, then at first, you may not feel like getting up out of bed and doing anything, but just having people there with you to say, let's try this today and yeah. just keep trying to move forward. I, I think that's the most helpful thing. Yeah, and I, I think that support system is probably the most crucial thing when, when you're dealing with sickle cell. Uh, at least for me, I know like, and you, you know my mom, she's in your face like hey you need to get this done anything that I don't want to do is not up for discussion you know it's kind of just like hey we're trying to reach this goal um, of getting better and if you don't want to get better then you really don't have a choice you just got to <laughs> do it so your I think mom is the good. real legend yeah 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 she is I think that's the real thing uh when it comes to and I, I talked to a, a a lot of families who, you know, ask me questions about their younger children having sickle cell, and that's probably one of the, mo the like I said, the crucial thing that I say is, is you really have to be able to support that child, you know, mentally, uh, because there are a lot of times as a sickle cell patient where you're, you're just like, yo, like you said, I don't want to get up out of bed today. Um, it, it's hard. I'm tired, you know. 
I'm weak and you just need that person there to help you understand like, you know, this is the goal at, at stake and this is what we need to do to reach it. So I think you're, you're definitely right when it comes to that, that uh, support. Um, so I have, a, I, I have a, another question for you. When, what do you think as far as like, when you think of like a patient, your sickle cell patient now, how do you categorize them? Like what, what are the characteristics of a, a, a good sickle cell patient? And then what are the characteristics of a sickle cell patient who's not doing so good? Yeah, so, I mean, everybody, that's the really interesting uh, mm -hmm. medically thing about sickle cell is that it does affect everybody differently, even though patients with sickle cell disease have the same changes in their red blood cell. Right. So why does, you know, why did you have a stroke, but, you know, eight out of 10 other patients didn't? That's mm -hmm. the frustrating thing for doctors that we can't figure you know, that part out. Mm -hmm. um, so by that, do you mean like, uh, what, what are there things that patients can do that? Yeah, so them? like, you know, taking your medicine, making yeah. sure you eat right, those type of things. Yes, yeah. So all of that definitely helps mm -hmm. mental and physical part, right? Like we talked about the mental piece. And I think that needs to start early I and mean, we try to do that in clinic to say to families okay you have this disease and there's certain things we need to do differently but mm -hmm. don't let this define you go on and live your life right so mm -hmm. mental part and then physically you don't want to add any stress to your mm -hmm. body so get enough sleep eat as much as you know eat as well as you can and now we're learning more about exercise and yeah. cell disease. And we admittedly do not have the exact recipe for that because, yeah. you know, going out in the Alabama heat and trying to run five miles is not a good choice, but yeah. there are uh, different types of exercise that we think can be helpful. And mm -hmm. one of my adult colleagues, Dr. Agunsele at UAB is actually doing research on mm -hmm. exercise and sickle cell disease. So I hope we'll learn more that we yeah. can, you know, give more precise uh, recommendations for that yeah when I was uh in my research I'll tell a quick story uh you brought up the Alabama heat and I remember uh I remember I was about 15 16 at the time and I was playing uh summer basketball and I practiced the day before I had a um red blood cell exchange and I don't know if you remember, but I, I the next, while I was at the hospital, I had finished my red blood cell exchange, but while I was getting something to eat out in the lobby, I passed out. And, I definitely remember that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember telling you and my mom, like, yeah, they didn't have air conditioner in the uh, gym that we were practicing in, and I guess it kind of just like, you know, hit me at, all at once. Uh, the next day when I, when I, um, you know, pretty much got, got done getting my um, exchange, but I thought that that's kind of like one of those things where you like, Hey, you need to make sure you stay hydrated. I think that was one of the things that you all preached to me the most was like, Hey, you need to make sure you're drinking as much water as possible. Um, a second thing I bring up is when I was recently in the hospital um, for my crisis, that's what I told the doctor 
how I pretty much stay uh, away from hospitals as much. I, I work out at least four to five times a week. Um, and I think that's like the key. Um, so I think the research that y'all are doing is, is, is very good. Um, and I think you will learn a lot that exercise is really, uh, no matter what type of exercise it is, but it helps sickle cell patients um, function properly um, and well throughout, you know, how they're, uh, throughout their day. Yeah. Now tell me, what are you doing like weight? When you say workout, you mean you're lifting yeah. weights and then are you doing anything aerobic? Uh, weights, cardio. Uh, I don't know if meditation is considered. Oh, as, that, yeah, that, no, that's all. Now there's all this research all of, on yeah. that too, right? Like yeah. for any um, diseases or just for sports training that meditation yeah. and visualization clearly helps. Yeah. So, yeah. So those are the three, those are the three things I mainly do. Um, and uh, lifting weights is usually about 40, 40 to 50 minutes. Uh, cardio is usually about, 20 to 30 and then um meditation is usually i would say 10 to 15 but it's not all you know it's not all in one day it's you know i kind of do it sporadically but it's within a week i do i do do most of it great well and the trickiest part of that honestly is the cardio part and that's right. what dr agunsale is trying to understand a little bit better because you obviously don't mind sharing things about your um medical treatment so right. you're getting blood transfusion right right so you're less anemic than the average patient mm -hmm. so that helps you be able to do the cardio part better yeah so, so that's what we're trying to understand for a you know a broader range of uh, you know levels of anemia right what what do we need to do for exercise um, taking into account more severe anemia yeah, and I think the other part to that is with the with the cardio, you have to be careful because you can't you can't overexert yourself. Exactly. Oh, you know, so that's the that's the tricky part of finding that balance of you know should I run or should I just walk you know those type of things to take yeah. into consideration. And probably uh, walking is beneficial. Yeah, walking is. Yeah, I usually walk. Uh, I don't do it. I hate running. I'd rather bike. I hear you. <laughs> So yeah, so those are those. That's pretty much how I usually do it. But yeah, I knew you and I are totally connected here because yeah. we both love basketball <laughs> and biking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are we are connected. <laughs> so what do you think as far as like I know we talked about the mental state of sickle cell, uh, but do you think there's like mentally how can it have an impact on on patients? Well, the first thing that pops into my head is just not knowing when yeah. your health is going to change. I mean, obviously, I don't have sickle cell, but just in seeing so many patients, I, just for the patient and for their family, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you have a child and you don't know if they're going to get sick, are you going to be able to go to work? Yeah. How are going to be able to go to school? And just the unpredictability of the acute problems mm. um, and then I'm, I'm sure for the patients that have more severe disease they probably think am I going to be able to do what I want to do with my life you know mm. and, and that weighs on you yeah and then you know I, I don't we can't have a podcast about sickle cell disease and not acknowledge some of the healthcare disparities in this mm -hmm. country 
So the other thing I think about when you ask me that question is, you know, as a black person in America, unfortunately, you may have been in situations where you did not get the same care or the care that you should have simply because you're black. Um, And that's a mental strain too, where you may go into some situations thinking you're going to have to, you know, be battling to get the care that you need. And that doesn't happen all the time, but it, you know, it's not just my opinion. There are research studies now that clearly show that that's the case. So that's the added factor, unfortunately, with this disease that we've just got to do better. Better, yeah. Yeah, I think one of the, the thing that I've seen uh, when, we, when we talk about uh, mental, the mental state, uh, when I was in uh, Charlotte, the hospital that I was attending there, they had a in-house therapist that you could see. And I thought that was really, really good. Uh, of course, Children's of Alabama is the best hospital for pediatric care and for children. Um, but this hospital, um, Levine Cancer Center in Charlotte, they had a really good system of having that therapist there. And I think, you know, when you're able to, I just know, I'm just talking about my recent uh, visit to the hospital, being in the hospital for so long and, you know, just being in that bed and having to take, you know, all types of medicine, it definitely takes a toll on you mentally. Um, and I never realized how much of a toll it takes on you until this last time. And it was like, yo, I need to go see a therapist, you know, mm-hmm. and being able to have a person in house, you know, when you're, when you're done with your, you know, blood exchange or something like that, to be able to talk to them then and there, I think that's a great, you know, a great way to help patients. And I think a lot of people should probably, uh, a lot of hospitals should try to look into that um, to help the patients out. Yeah. Yeah, so we do have, you know, similar services uh, mm-hmm. like that here. Uh, there's always room for expansion of those things. Yeah. But we're definitely in, you know, the last few years, we're trying to be a lot more cognizant about the mental side of recovery. Mm-hmm. And even simple things like when you have pain, we have some virtual reality goggles, things like yeah. that, just try to help, uh, you know, de-stress. But yeah. yeah, the fact that you can recognize that you needed some extra help and that's part of your medical care. I mean, when people think sometimes when you suggest that, that you're saying that they're crazy and that's obviously not the case that, you know, we've talked this whole podcast about the connection between the mental and the physical. So yeah, I think that's going to be an expanding area to help patients with sickle cell disease. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that. Have you seen the symptoms of having sickle cell? Do they get worse as a person grows older? Or have you seen people not really have any problems as they got older um, dealing with sickle cell? Yeah. So, I mean, admittedly, I'm not an adult doctor, but just Hmm. uh, in general, the things that get a little more difficult as you get older are going to be some of the organ function problem Mm -hmm. you know like we talked about at the beginning where you can get organ injury over time so some patients for example might get where they get short of breath they might need oxygen Mm -hmm. Uh, not everybody but just as as an example 
And then mm -hmm. some patients, if they've had a lot of problems with the sickle cell clogging up their bones, may have more trouble with their joints um, mm -hmm. as they get older. Yep. So those are kind of the main categories of, of changes as you age. Once again, that was Chris Ruffin Jr. and Dr. Lee Hilliard. For more on sickle cell disease, visit childrensal.org and search sickle cell. Thanks for listening to Inside Pediatrics.